0: Hey, we are, uh, we're starting a brand new series <clears throat> that we're calling Identity. And I know a lot of times in church we talk about the things that God has done in our lives that are unique and different and make us special from everybody else. But you realize that maybe some of the most powerful things are the things that make us common, that make us together, and the things which we all believe, all live for, that unite us, that give us our identity in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to spend the next five weeks just talking about five things that every believer ought to believe, ought to do, ought to be living for within their lives, things that we all should know hands down if we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to find is as we do this that some of us who've been believers for a long time, we're going to dust off some stuff in our lives. We're going to remember some things we kind of forgot along the way, for some of us that are brand new baby believers, you're going to have ahas the next five weeks. You're going to go, oh my goodness. You know, I, I kind of was thinking that's what we were saying. I now realize that's what we believe. That really is the basis and the basics of my faith. And I, I ought to know that, ought to live that, ought to believe that with all of my heart. For some of you that are pre-Jesus, you're still trying to figure this thing out, trying to navigate what does it mean to have a relationship with God, you're going to have a chance to take a fresh, brand new look and it's going to get laid out, and you're going to go, wow, that's exactly what they're saying about this. So it's called identity. Who are we in Jesus Christ? Five things that we all ought to just absolutely know, believe, hands down, if we claim to be followers of Christ. So today we're going to start right at the beginning. We're going to start at the basics. What what should we know, believe, live for? And we're asking this question, how do I know how to get to heaven? What does that take? How, How do you answer that question uh, in your life anyhow. I mean, it, how many points do you need to get there? You know, and, and how do you know when you've got enough? I mean, wouldn't the most horrible thing be if you got to heaven and you needed 750 points and all of a sudden you figure out, I've got 749. If I'd have just bought that one more box of Girl Scout cookies, I could have made it, you know? Uh, is getting to heaven just not doing really bad stuff? You know, if we can just avoid the big sins and make sure that we only commit the little sins, does, does that mean that then God kind of winks and, and you get a pass? And, and if that's the case, what would happen if you got to heaven and figured out that something that you and I thought was a little sin, God thought was a big sin? So where's the list, anyways? And so we're simply asking the question how do you know? How does a person get to heaven, anyways? So we're going to grab our Bibles this morning and we're going to ask that question. And it just seems like if you're going to ask that question, you ought to ask someone who's been to heaven. So we're going to ask Jesus, Jesus, you've been there, you can't, how do you get to heaven? And uh, Jesus is going to answer that question in John chapter 3. If you have your Bibles and you're not real familiar, if you go to the back, start working to the left, you're going to find this book of John. It's in what we call the Gospels. John chapter 3. Now, let me just set this up for you as you're going there. Jesus is going to have a conversation with a deeply, deeply, deeply religious man. Uh, His name is Nicodemus. And and if we were going to put this into today's terminology, Nicodemus is a seminary professor. Uh, This guy doesn't just know his Bible. He teaches it for a living, And he is deeply, deeply, profoundly religious. He is following all the rules. He's doing all the right things. Here's the problem When Nicodemus lays his head on the pillow at night, something aches. Something's not right. And he knows deep, 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 deep down in his heart for all of my religiousness, for all of the Bible that I've got memorized. For all the good things I've done with my life, I'm not sure about heaven. And his question ought to be our question. Jesus, how do you get to heaven for sure? And Jesus is going to answer his question and our question. John chapter 3, probably the most famous Bible passage in all of the world. You'll be familiar with it, John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 16. Here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, you've got to get your mind around what the Bible means when it says believe. Uh, this isn't uh, believe as in Yeah, I think I believe in mermaids. Or I believe I'll have another. That's not what this is. When Jesus says here, you need to believe, he's saying with all your heart. You need to be ready to, you ready? Stake your life on it. You need to be ready to say, I would die for this belief. Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you need to Capital B, belief. See if I can help. There's a tightrope walker in 1860. Calls himself the Great Blondine. He's from France and happens to come over to the United States on a visit. And while he's visiting New York, sees Niagara Falls. And if you're a tightrope walker and you see Niagara Falls, then the first thing you think is, hey, wouldn't it be cool to tightrope walk across Niagara Falls? So sure enough, he goes, he sets it up, does it, now picture this, he takes a hemp rope, runs it clear across all of Niagara Falls, and tightrope walks across. Paper sells literally hundreds of thousands of people were there to see this happen, and it actually became an event, and for about a year and a half, he would, at different times, make this walk across Niagara Falls, and then, of course, each time you had to make it a little more spectacular than the last time, so he would go out there, and one day he took a little sterno kid and Cooked himself an omelet and lowered it down uh, to the little boat that was looking at Niagara Falls below. One day he took a chair out there with him on the rope, balanced it, sat on the chair. And then came the day. He took a wheelbarrow loaded full of bricks across Niagara Falls. When he got to the other side, of course, the crowd was cheering and screaming for him. To which he then looked at the crowd and said, do you think I can make it back? And they said, of course you can make it back. We, We absolutely believe you can make it back. And he said, If you believe, who'll get in the wheelbarrow? You get that's what Jesus is asking. If you believe, get in the wheelbarrow. See, if you believe me and believe what I'm telling you and believe that I'm the, then get in the wheelbarrow. Stake your life on this, be willing to die for this. And maybe, maybe more importantly, be willing to live for this. That Jesus is saying, look, if, if you believe this about me, that I'm the answer, I'm the way that people get to heaven, then that ought to change you. And, and maybe the measure of how much you truly, truly believe is how different you are for having Jesus in your life than you would be if you didn't have Jesus. Are you in the wheelbarrow? Because here's the answer. There are a whole bunch of people who are fans of God. See, we like God, and God is really, really nice, and whenever we have a problem, we drop a prayer or two, and we think God's really cool. Jesus would say, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm asking you, do you believe? Does this change everything about you? Does it change every day of you? Do you, capital B, believe this? He goes on. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Through Jesus Now let's be honest. If you and I walked into a room of hundred people this morning and said to them, "Hey, how do you get to heaven?" Anybody want to guess how many answers you probably get? Probably a hundred. Because because they want to say, "Well, no, no, no. You know, I belong to this church, or I, I happen to be in that denomination, or you know, I, I'm a really, really good person. I bet I helped two little old ladies across the street last week alone." You know, and 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 we've all got the system. We've all got our answer. We've all got well, you know, I'm not as bad as my neighbor. You realize that's not what Jesus just said. Jesus said there's really only one way that anybody gets to heaven. Through me. Which means there's a whole bunch of people who are mistaken about how they're getting to heaven. Matter of fact, Jesus answered this question even more clearly. It's in in Matthew chapter 7. Turn over there with me. Jesus said there's there's a whole bunch of people who think they're okay, who think they've got enough brownie points added up or they've done enough kind things that that they're okay, but they're missing it. It's Matthew chapter 7. This is Jesus once again talking about how does someone go to heaven? Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. Guess who the narrow gate is? Jesus. Jesus is saying, look, enter through the narrow gate. Enter through me. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. You get what Jesus, Jesus is saying? Look, there's a whole bunch of people who think they have this figured out. There's a whole bunch of people believing that they're good enough or kind enough or go to the right church. And that's never been what heaven was about. Heaven has always been a question of believing on me. Are you ready for this? Can I be bold enough to say this? Not Buddha, not Muhammad, Jesus. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now, I know, I know, I know. Some of us right now go, Lynn, that's, that's incredibly narrow thinking. I mean, that's, it. almost sounds judgmental. I didn't say it. The one who came from heaven and was trying to tell you and I how to get there is the one who said it. Jesus said, look, look, look. Every other way you try, every other method, every other system is going to let you down. You're, you're going to be with all the rest on a highway to nowhere if you don't figure out that there's one way to heaven. Me. I, I knew we were going to talk about this, and so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, how do, I, how do we express, how, does, how do we get this to where it makes sense for us and we understand why that's the answer? And a couple days before Christmas, I'm sitting there watching ESPN, and this this amazing video comes on. You guys didn't know that ESPN has all of our theological answers, somewhere. (laughs) Somewhere in there, if you look long enough. And I'm watching this video, it's it's about a young man who was the mascot uh, for the University of North Carolina and who got struck by a car. And his parents ended up deciding to let him be an organ donor. And as I watched that video, my wife Lisa was sitting there with me. I turned to her after the video was over and I said, Lisa, what did you think about that? To which she looked at me and says, that that may be one of the most amazing pictures of Jesus I've ever seen. And I'm sitting there with tears coming down my eyes and I said, that's exactly what I thought when I saw that video. So we went and got the video and we're going to let you see that video here today.
1: Selection Sunday, 2007. The brackets were set for college basketball's biggest prize. And for the University of North Carolina, a number one seed in the East meant an eventual trip to New Jersey, which put in motion a course of events that impacted much more than basketball bragging rights. Jason Ray, a senior, was especially excited for the Tar Heels run. The 21-year-old loved Chapel Hill from teaching Bible studies to singing in a college rock band.
0: I'd like to take this uh, intermission to say my mama sing right there with my father. Hi, mom.
1: But Jason's most famous role was as the mascot for the Tar Heels.
2: Jason had a level of enthusiasm himself uh, that uh, you could tell immediately, and I think that that's something that did fire up the crowd.
3: We talked two days before they left uh, to go
0: up to New Jersey. He was just so highly anticipating them making a run.
1: On the afternoon of March 23rd, just hours before Carolina was scheduled to play USC in the East Regionals, Jason Ray left his hotel and went walking along this busy New Jersey highway. He was going to get a bite to eat. It was
2: on a Friday, and the phone rang when they said, uh, are you Jason Ray's mother? And I said, yes. And they said, there's been an accident. And I just said, hold on, let me let you talk to his dad, because I was beginning to shake. She
4: said, my son had been struck by an automobile, and he was in real serious condition. and We needed to get there.
2: And I heard him say, oh, no, oh, no. And I just went all to pieces. I just didn't know what it was, but I knew it was bad.
1: The driver who hit Jason stopped and called 911. It was clear Jason was badly hurt. His parents raced from North Carolina to this New Jersey hospital.
2: His head was really swollen. He had his eyes shut, and his hands were just laying there. And I picked them up, and they were warm. And I just couldn't let go of his hand.
1: Jason had suffered severe head trauma. There was no sign of brain activity. So a representative from the New Jersey Sharing Network, a group that facilitates tissue and organ transplants, was called in to broach a subject that was not easy for his parents to hear, organ donation.
4: I was thinking everything except sharing his organs with anybody at that point.
1: He just kept saying he wanted to take Jason home. He wanted to take him home. But this difficult decision had already been made by Jason himself. Evident on his driver's license. You could have said no. It's true.
4: But it would upset him. So I wouldn't have not honored it.
1: Emmett said to me, this is my boy, please take care of him. When a father tells me to take care of their child, I'm gonna do that because the gift that Jason gave, there's no no greater gift, there's no greater gift. On Monday, March 26th at 8.38 in the morning, three days after his accident, doctors pronounced Jason Ray Dead. Were you able to say goodbye? Oh, yeah. Can you share with me what, what, you, uh, what you said to
4: him? I told him I'd see him again. I also told him I'd swap places with him if he'd get up.
1: As one family grieved, another got a ray of hope. For over a decade, 58-year-old Ronald Griffin had suffered from congestive heart failure. How weak in your mind, how weak did you get?
3: If I rolled over in the bed, it was like I ran a marathon. I couldn't brush my teeth, I couldn't comb my hair, I couldn't do any of that.
1: This former postal worker and grandfather of two, was one of nearly 100,000 Americans on the organ transplant waiting list. He and his wife Stephanie feared that he would die before the right heart ever came. You know, even if some hearts came through, there had to be somebody about his size, you know, and of course, his blood type, with the rare blood type. With the rare blood type, and he has to be at the top of the list. And at the time of Jason Ray's death, Ronald was at the top of that list. Jason's heart was a perfect match. As Ronald was prepped for surgery, his doctor came in
3: with news. He said, I took care of you. I got you the best heart available. And then he said, you should become a North Carolina fan.
1: So on that day, Jason Ray and Ronald Griffin became forever linked.
3: Without Jason there would be no me.
1: Ronald Griffin wasn't the only person Jason saved. 43 year old Dennis Corzelius and his wife Patty had been married just over a month when doctors told him he faced certain death from liver failure. You know, first thing I thought about was uh, the kids. And you know, kids don't understand dying. On your mark. Yes, Today, Dennis's outlook is good. Doctors tell him that if he survives one year, he can expect to lead a fairly normal life. 40-year-old David Irving and his mother, Nancy, had endured his debilitating diabetes for over 25 years. He was on painful kidney dialysis for nine of them. After receiving one of Jason's kidneys and his pancreas, he is back to work on the family's farm. And Antoine Hunter had survived on just one kidney since he was a baby. And when that kidney started failing at age 15, he too was put on the transplant list. (laughs) Now he looks forward to high school basketball tryouts since he received Jason's other kidney. Uh So tell me how you feel now.
2: I feel great now. I feel excellent that I got a kidney, and I'm doing great. Mm -hmm. I'm taking my medicine.
1: In all, Jason's organ and tissue donation may have improved or saved more than 50 lives, from burn victims to the visually impaired. Normally, the donation process is confidential, but because of the media attention surrounding Jason's death, most of the organ recipients figured out on their own just who their donor was. I put the two and two together that might have been the mascot. Have you thought about any of the people that he helped?
2: Yes, I wondered uh, how they felt. I'm thinking, I hope something good happens for them. And at first, though, I thought, well, those people that uh, got his uh, organs, their prayers were answered and mine wasn't. But God had a plan. He had to have a plan for all this.
4: I just brought this home.
1: At the Ray's request, the New Jersey Sharing Network and ESPN contacted the organ recipients and asked them if they wanted to meet Jason's parents.
0: They all agreed.
2: What were you thinking in the car ride over? Well, I just didn't know how I would feel about knowing that a part of Jason was here.
1: You guys nervous? Yeah, me too. I can't wait to meet him. But I still, I don't know what to say to him. There was nothing I could say, nothing I could do to bring
3: Jason back, except live. Okay, here we
2: go.
3: At the point when they got out of the car, I wanted to love him so much. It was an instant connection. Ronald? Yes, sir? Let's see. I love you.
4: He just grabbed me and gave me a big hug and told me, he said, man, I love you, son. And of course, that's all you wanted to hear. I mean, that was, was, he didn't have to say anything else. Glad to meet you guys.
2: Charlotte Ray, and I'm so glad to meet you. Thank you. Glad to meet you. Hi, Dennis, how are
4: you? Oh, so nice to meet
2: you. Nice meeting you.
4: He was a great kid, and I just hope that you guys all understand that. You all probably understand it better than most anybody.
2: It was Jason that wanted to do this. And he came in and he'd made the decision at 18 or 19 that he wanted to be a donor, so don't feel guilty. Just think how lucky you are. He was a special guy. You know mother would say that, but he was special.
4: I don't know how anybody could listen to some of the stories and the timing. and everything that occurred and not think that there's a, an architect doing that. You know, it's like God's designed it.
1: What happened to me was a blessing. I mean, now I know why I'm alive and who, who provided that chance for me. I haven't been this happy in a while. I mean, I don't call him a donor. i never called him a donor. And right now, I'm his brother. You seem happy. We've only seen each other twice, and from last week to this week, you seem so uplifted. Happy. I think. Sorry.
2: Uplifted. Well, I, when I listened to their stories, and I could visualize in my mind what how they were living, and then to how they are doing now. Oh, look what's coming in the future! Look what they've got to look forward
3: to. I was blessed getting to know my new family. It's been a fantastic journey.
2: When I hear them talk and everything, I'm just thinking, oh, he has touched a lot of people. He'll live on with them. One, two. <laughs> I just don't ever want him to be forgotten.
0: Wow. We we invited uh, Jason's parents uh, to be in our service today. So would you help me welcome uh, Emmett and Charlotte? <laughs> Thank thank you guys for being here and I've told you just how much I think the story of your son is a portrayal. It's a parable of the story of Jesus Christ and thank you for being part of this with us. Charlotte, tell us, tell us a little bit about Jason.
2: Well, he was a very special young man. He loved Jesus. He loved doing everything that anybody would love to do. Uh, It was like he had an agenda that he had every minute set up for him. And the recipients, they were just very grateful, and they just couldn't hear enough about Jason. Uh, They wanted to hear everything they could about him. Antoine, he was so... He wanted to know what he had for breakfast, uh, what color. he was his favorite color. If he had a girlfriend, uh, what kind of car he drove. Uh, David, he just was just, oh, blessed. And um, Mr. Griffin came, spent a weekend with us, wanted to go in his room. Uh, They took pictures of everything in his room. Uh, If he touched it, they wanted a picture of it. they just so appreciative of what Jason did for them.
4: And and Jason was uh, pretty much a normal child. I mean... He enjoyed life, loved living it, loved every minute of everything he did. He loved Chapel Hill, Hmm. and he loved the Lord. So that's about the only thing that helps us keep going.
0: Emma, tell us what's it like for a dad to have to make the decision to allow their child to be an organ donor? What goes through your mind? Well, it's
4: at that particular moment in time, you're at your lowest of lows. Uh, I don't know as all your reasoning is is there, but I became a little bit irritated at uh, the young lady you saw in the video, uh, Stephanie, and uh, I thought she was just pressing me a little bit too hard. It was like we were dealing over used carburetors for a 55 Chevy, and uh, I just didn't like that. And of course. I had no idea about organ donation or being a recipient or anything else. And uh, it's just the most gut-wrenching thing you've ever gone through. Uh, No parent should have to go through that
0: um, or would want to anyway. You and I, we were out at dinner the other night, and I don't even know if you knew you were saying it when you said it to me, but you kind of inadvertently said one of the hard things about all of this was that a couple of the people who received some of jason's organs they had gotten where they were they they needed an organ because of bad decisions bad lifestyle choices that they had made and so right. here was your son sacrificing and they'd gotten themselves there talk to us about that
4: well uh, we've learned you know since jason's accident that the recipients of organs all feel guilty and I think when their lifestyle has got them to the point where their, their liver's gone, for example, from alcohol abuse or whatever, I think they have an added guilt. And uh, Part of my message to those people was not to feel guilty about having received Jason's organs. Jason made that decision on his own at, at the ripe old age of 19. And, um, he had told his mom not to make sure that nothing that could help anybody here went to the grave with him he said cuz i'm not going to be there and i won't need this these organs in heaven where i'm going i get new ones so uh looking back now that that's very comforting but at the time you know you're not always thinking about
0: that you're just feeling sorry for yourself sure you guys, you guys had the chance to meet uh, some of the people who received uh, the organs, and what was their response? How did how how did they feel about this? Were they thankful?
2: Oh, very, very thankful. They just uh, they just couldn't show you enough appreciation. They would just hug you and thank you, and uh, they knew that because of him, they got to live. Hmm. And,
4: and part of our. The story was uh, I went up there, agreed to meet with these people, um, and wanted to tell them a story about Jason. I wanted to let them know the kind of individual he was, and again, this may be selfish motivation, but the second thing I wanted to tell them was that Jason, if he were there, would be concerned about their salvation and how about their walk with their Lord and ESPN opted to edit that out. I don't know if you noticed that at the beginning or not.
0: <laughs> Wonder of wonders, huh? I, yes. I can't imagine why they did that.
4: <laughs> anyway, that, that's why we went there to begin with. And then we wanted to, we wanted to meet them and, and try to get a relationship going with them because we want to know how they do. And, you know, I mean, after all, uh, I took Ronald to church with us and uh, introduced him to our congregation and he got about a five-minute standing ovation, and he was overcome. You know, he had no idea that people would receive him like that. And, uh, I mean, it's just incredible Mm. the way that they do feel and how thankful they are, how grateful they are. And like Charlotte said, uh, anything that Jason has done or touched or thought about or anything, they just wanted to know all they could. They, they wanted to absorb it.
0: See, I think, that's, I think that's maybe one of the neatest parts of the story is that they wanted to know what his favorite color was. They wanted to know what his favorite food was. And I just thought, boy, what a powerful illustration of how you and I as Christians should respond to what Jesus has done. We, we ought to be saying, Jesus, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite? Because I want to be just like you. And sure. uh, that ought to be our response to I want to say thank you to you for raising a boy like Jason, for being parents. With a guy Alex like Jason thank you so much thank for you. sharing with us thank you thank you, yeah. thank you. so you get it right you you get that that's our story that that what jesus is trying to communicate to nicodemus that day what he's trying to communicate to you and me is this we're on the list we're on the list and 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 without a transplant every last one of us has a death sentence hanging over our head and we got to the list honest see we we'd made decisions we, we did things, we had moments that, and it put us on the list. And that the only way, the only way you and I were going to get off the list was a transplant. And there was only, you ready, one potential donor that would work. That, that's exactly what Jesus says Next. Verse 18. Whoever believes on him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. They're on the list because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Can you can you can you imagine someone going up to Emmett or Charlotte? after all of this and saying, hey, you know, that's really nice. It's, it, was, it was kind and thoughtful of you that, that Jason's organs were donated, but you, you realize it really wasn't necessary. Those people would have been fine if this would have done a little exercise or taken some extra vitamins, so it was nice, but not needed. You realize that's what you and I do every single time we say to God, look, look, it, it's really nice that Jesus went to the cross, but not... Necessary, because see, here's the thing: I, I belong to the right church, or I'm being a nice person, or I'm running Cub Scouts, or I'm better than my neighbor, and I'm I'm getting there my own way. I'm I'm getting myself off the list, myself. And the answer at the end of the day is that there was one answer. See, here's here's the part that strikes me. God made that choice on your and my behalf. And and he didn't make that choice about a son who'd been in a car accident and was already pronounced dead. He made that choice about a son who was perfectly healthy because you and I were on the list. And he said to his son, would you consider being a donor because it's the only way they're ever gonna find life. And I'm just telling you that as a believer, as a Christian, if you get that, if you remember that, there's a a segment in the video that, that we ended up editing out as we went, but Dennis, one of the guys on the video, says, I can't forget Jason. And he he lifts up his shirt, and he shows these scars. He says, I've got Jason with me every day. He gave me life. You realize that every believer in the room, every person who knows Jesus, ought to be able to lift up their spiritual shirt. Say, are you kidding me? I, I, I can't forget Jesus. He changes every day of my life. Every moment I live is thank you because I was on the list. There are some of us in this room who, for the very, very, very first time, this is making sense. For the first time, you're going, Oh my goodness, y- y- you mean being good and going to the right church? Or I need a transplant. And you know what the wonder of this is? God says, All you got to do is ask. You just got to say, I'm on the list. I need a transplant. It's as simple as a prayer. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're just going to take a moment and we're going to pray. And those who need to maybe pray this prayer for the first time in their lives, we're going to pray this together. So let's bow our heads. And if that's you today, that prayer is simple. It could be just something like this Dear God, I'm on the list. And, and the truth be told, I put myself on the list. I did. I, there were moments that I knew what was right and I chose what was wrong. I sinned. And it put me on the list. And I'm just asking... I need a transplant. I I need what Jesus did on the cross for me. I need life. So I'm asking right now, I'm asking for Jesus to take me off the list. And this I pray. In Jesus' precious name,